The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. Chris, as always, wonderful to be joined by our guest today, Mike Aquilina. He is the author of The Mass of the Early Christians and several other books, as a matter of fact, on the early church, all published through our Sunday Visitor. I have to talk about the Grail Code, and of course, uh, we've been visiting with him on the expanded edition, the new expanded edition of his book, The Fathers of the Church, an introduction to the first Christian teachers. Speaking, of course, of uh, Mike Aquilina, we also encourage you to visit the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology website, www.salvationhistory.com. Mike, the vice president of all that. Good morning, Mike. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. You know, Mike, if it were just that you gave us the Fathers of the Church, even the new expanded edition, to learn about the Fathers of the Church, that would be enough. But you do more than that, because on the fathersofthechurch.com, the blog that you have, Every day you chronicle some important, wonderful piece of church history or just something, you know, as a gift to all of us, just so that we're aware. And I just thank you for that because, I mean, you go above and beyond what you need to do. You're a real servant. Well, thanks for saying so, Chris, but I have to tell you, it's a, it's a selfish indulgence because it's such a joy to read the Fathers, and it's such a joy to come to know them. And then once you post things on a blog, you meet all these other people, and you make friends with, uh, with people all over the world who, who, who are indulging themselves in the same way. Uh, you know, the Fathers really do draw us closer to our Lord, so it's not complete self-indulgence, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and there's such, such beautiful men to come to know that way. Today, it's St. Anthony, and a lot of, it's not the St. Anthony we pray to we lose an object. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's right, he was an Italian like me. <laughs> that's right. But he was nonetheless a very important figure in the life of the Church, St. Anthony of the Desert, a desert father. He really was. In a lot of ways, he was the primordial desert father, even though he wasn't the first. Mm-hmm. He really became the icon of what of what a monk should be, of what a desert father should be. Um, he, he became the image of, of the monastic life. It, it's interesting. If you look uh, at the, the documentary history of the early church, there are certain literary moments that just set the tone for the future. Mm-hmm. And in the very early church, there was the, uh, the account of the martyrdom of St. Polycarp of Smyrna. And really, that, that document set the tone of, of how Christians should approach martyrdom. Mm-hmm. It, it told the story of St. Polycarp and how he approached his death. And Christians afterward took their inspiration from there, and they found courage in that account of St. Polycarp, and they, they followed along. They followed in his footsteps. Wow. They learned how to be a martyr from that. Well, a similar thing happened with St. Anthony, in that he really became became known very widely as the the man in the desert. Um, his his popular nickname was the man of God, and people would 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 come from all over to this this desert in Egypt to uh, to 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 get counsel from from Anthony. He became he became a pilgrimage site himself. Wow. No matter where he went, he would become just a magnet for pilgrims. Well, the the, the thing that that really um, kind of fixed this image for all the subsequent generations was 
was the fact that one of the great minds and one of the great authors of, of that time, of the 4th century, uh, St. Athanasius of Alexandria, wrote a life of St. Anthony immediately after Anthony died. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this book became an immediate bestseller all over the world. Wow. People were reading this. It just spread like wildfire. And you find all those, the saints of that era are referring to this book and the excitement it generated. Now, when we saw this hoopla about the Da Vinci Code, you know, mm-hmm. just imagine, in that, in that century, all the hoopla, all the buzz, all the talk about a book was about Athanasius and his life of Anthony. It just spread all over the world. There were translations immediately. There were several Latin translations that have survived to our day. So, so it was an amazing success, and it inspired many people to follow after Anthony. And ever afterward, Anthony became the model of what a monk should be. Whenever people wanted to follow in the footsteps, whether it be in a monastic community or in the solitary life as a hermit, mm-hmm. they followed after Anthony, and Anthony became the model. Uh, the the person they were striving to imitate. Wow. When you think about the popularity of this particular piece, it's at a time when the average person would not have been able to purchase a book, essentially, but yet they would have heard the story. I mean, can you imagine people gathering to hear someone read the story to them? That's right, and the book had to be copied over and over again. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny, as, as I said, St. Jerome and St. Augustine and, uh, and Rufinus and many other people uh, speak of, of hearing, hearing it read aloud. And when, it, when that would happen, people would be inspired to join the monasteries. It did, it did um, inspire, uh, they said it, it, made, it created cities in the desert. Wow. Because people would hear this, this book and they'd say, I want a piece of the action. I want to live the way that guy lived. And they would go rushing off to the desert. And so immediately... There would there would be these uh, these communities springing up uh, in the desert areas of Egypt. It really it really made made Egypt a a, a hot spot, as it were, <laughs> in, yeah. in the Christian map. Well, and as opposed to the lifestyles of the rich and famous, it was the lifestyles of the holy and God fearing. Right, how's that? Well, sure, sure. People were not uh, people might um might en- envy the, the the comfort of the Caesars, but uh, but they knew that it was a precarious life. And uh, and it ended early, and uh, and and the afterlife wasn't too promising. Uh, but they could look at someone like Anthony, and they can see that he he enjoyed a certain happiness in this life, a certain peace in this life that that the Caesars lacked, and ordinary people often lacked. And they they wanted a they wanted a piece of that action. The great thing about Anthony is that um, is that he 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 showed <laughs> kind of uh, the the democracy. Of, of Christianity, um, this democratic element, because because Anthony, um, it, the story of Anthony's early life is different from the stories of a lot of others, because because Athanasius makes you know he takes great pains to point out that Anthony wasn't a very bright student. Mm. He didn't enjoy learning. He didn't enjoy school, mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't the brightest bulb on the tree. <laughs> um, he. He, as opposed to Athanasius, who was a great scholar and a sure. prodigy of, of a scholar at an early age. And yet you have the scholar Athanasius really, you know, taking off his hat in, uh, in, in, honor, of, um, in honor of Anthony. Anthony showed that, that, uh, that, that you, can, you could be an ordinary person, uh, and even, even on the simple side of things, not the greatest student, Mm-hmm. But you could still gr- 
grow in great holiness and even great wisdom just by listening to the Word of God. They say that, that Anthony never missed an opportunity to hear the Word of God, and, and, and he was able to absorb it because of his, his uh, attention to it. He, he would absorb it and take in every word at its utmost me- meaning because he would contemplate what he heard. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, Han makes a big, big deal out of this in his um his his recent book, Letter and Spirit, mm-hmm. and he takes he he looks at um at uh, at at Anthony's life as as a, a window into the way the scriptures were interpreted in the early church because the turning point in Anthony's life came when he heard the scriptures in the mass. Mm. Uh, he was he was only he was only twenty years old uh, when his parents died. And he was left with the care of his much younger sister, and uh, and they were a moderately wealthy family, mm-hmm. bourgeois family, and uh, and uh, and and they were Christian, uh, even even though it was illegal at that time. This was you know a time of intermittent persecution. Mm-hmm. But Anthony would go off to the liturgy. Uh, he would go off to mass, and he would hear the, the the readings just as we all do. And one day he went and he he heard the gospel. Uh, where where our Lord said, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And and Athanasius tells us it was as if God had spoken those lines directly to Anthony in the Gospel. And so what do you think Anthony did? Any guesses? <laughs> uh, sold all his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, he gave he, he he gave away his um his property. And, oh. uh, he he sold what he could, and he he gave gave away what he earned, and um and he he uh he gave to the poor, and uh, he held back a little so that he could take care of his little sister. It's very prudent, right? Well, then he went to mass again, and uh, he heard the gospel, and the gospel was our Lord saying, "Do not be anxious about tomorrow." And when Anthony heard that. He decided he's got to make a complete break, mm. and he gave away the little that he held back, and he turned his sister over to uh, what would be the equivalent of a convent today, mm. a, a group of consecrated virgins, and, and asked them to raise her, and then Anthony went out to the tombs, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the graveyard uh, at the outskirts of town, and he lived in the tombs for, for 20 years there in solitude. Wow. And uh, and and uh, and in contemplation. When you were asking about what he did and how he kept some money back, and I chimed in right away that that was very prudent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reminded about the next thing that he did. As you just spoke, how he gave it all away ultimately, and that was a true dependence, total trust on God. Yes. And it reminds me of what Father Benedict Groeschel is being on virtue, and how sometimes there is that natural prudence that we have to do, you know, while I have to be smart and kind of be careful and everything. And then there's supernatural prudence that through grace, you end up being able to do what others may not seem as prudent. Right. And if Anthony hadn't done that, look at the lives that would not have been touched by his witness. That's right. He had a special vocation from God. God doesn't want all of us to give up our our homes and and go out to the tombs, Mm -hmm. but Anthony did have this this special vocation uh, in 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 uh, in the history of the church, and um, and and people do continue to have the vocation to give up everything and enter the religious life today. Uh, Anthony, from there, took you know his life took a lot of twists and turns, uh, which is interesting because you think, well, that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give up everything. He went out to the tombs and he he disappeared, but but uh, he. he 
people would go out there and ask him for counsel. And uh, he lived there for 20 years. So when he was about 40 years old, he decided to make an even greater break. And he, uh, he went out to, to, to this, this, this remote mountain. And, um, and there, he knew that on this mountain there was an abandoned fort. And Athanasius tells us that it had been taken over by reptiles. Ooh, creepy. So he walked in, and and uh, and and it's one of those those great moments because they, uh, they, uh, one thing that Athanasius says over and over again uh, is that is that Anthony was 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 always um, victorious in his struggles against demons because mm-hmm. he was plagued by them. Mm-hmm. They knew that here was a great man, a man of God, and they wanted to tempt him away from the way that God had laid out before him, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so he was often tempted. But Athanasius, the most powerful weapon uh, Anthony had was the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. And whenever he would make, his, make the sign of the cross, the demons would flee. Well, they say that when he went into the, this abandoned fort, this mountain fort, he made the sign of the cross and the reptiles fleed. Oh, oh. well, so. I, if it were only that easy. <laughs> right. But it was for him. Right, he could be, become an exterminator. Yeah, really. Uh, but he he went in and uh, and sealed himself up in the fort and uh, and remained there for twenty years. And they say that during those twenty years he did not see a human face. Wow. That people would often come by, and they would uh, they would put bread in a bag and throw it over the wall. But for twenty years he did not see a human face. Wow! But gradually, again, you have this presence of Anthony, this magnet. Uh, and uh, and he drew people to the mountain, and uh, sure enough, you know you would have you would have hermits and and uh, you know little a little community a city in the desert there, um, gathering around this mountain fort, and uh, and eventually he came out of uh, came out of there and uh, and w- lived in a small community of hermits, and eventually he even he even was drawn into the city uh, down into Alexandria. Uh, because of the great events that were going on during his lifetime, uh, people wanted uh, Anthony to be part of them, even if he didn't want to be part of the the great current of history. And uh, sometimes he was just moved by conscience to respond to what was going on in history. Mm. In the the year 311, of course, there was the most intensive persecutions going on, and the very last gasp of the Roman persecution of the church. And and Anthony was so moved by by what was going on, uh, by the people who were who were being uh, tried and sentenced to death uh, for their profession of the faith, that he went down to be among them and uh, to strengthen them, and he was a very public witness. Uh, so much so that the uh, the judge didn't didn't like the 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 PR mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and tried to keep Anthony out of the public eye. But Anthony would always be there in the public, uh, teaching the faith in his simple way, and uh, and 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 giving consolation to the people who were going to die as martyrs. Wow! So he was called out of his his mountain retreat for that. Uh, eventually, he would go back to the desert, and then uh, and then again a little bit later, um, when the when the church was legal and was being torn apart then by by heresy, there was a heretic who was living in Alexandria. And he was one of the most successful heretics of all time, if you want to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Arius, and he was teaching that Jesus was just a creature. Right. 
Oh, that Arius. Right, right. The arch heretic. Yes. And and he he was teaching that Jesus was the greatest of creatures, but just a creature. He wasn't God. Mm-hmm. He wasn't co-eternal, and he wasn't um, he wasn't powerful in the way that God was powerful. Uh, well, well, uh, I guess some of the Arians in Alexandria were trying to say that that Anthony was on on their side, which is easy to do when Anthony is miles away mm-hmm. and no one's talking to him, and there are no TV cameras trained on him. And they say that because of this. Uh, the scandalous situation. Anthony got wind of it, and he went down into Alexandria, and he preached against the Arians there mm. in Alexandria. So he was able to uh, to to give witness that way. And just to kind of get a, a time of or a sense of place, Alexandria would have been equivalent to what would maybe New York today. Right. It was a great intellectual center, a university town. It was also a port. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot. Of, it was a trade center in. Uh, in the empire, it, it may have been the most important uh, intellectual and university town in the world at that time. So, for someone who is as Athanasius, and as you pointed out, would be considered maybe simple by today's standards of thought or of, of expression, mm-hmm. he would be able to go down and be able to speak in a way that would move the people, while the intellectuals who were dissecting the faith weren't able to be able to stop him. Well, that's that's true, and and not only the Christian uh, intellectuals and, and the heretics, but he also would go down and he would dispute with the pagans in Alexandria because the the universities at that time were still pagan centers of learning, mm-hmm. and so he would go down and he would dispute with them about their gods, and he would he would point out to them in his simple way, look at the shameful behavior of of your gods. You worship adulterers. You worship thieves. You worship violent violent deities, and he would try to draw them over to the Christian faith, and he would succeed in doing so, not because of his great book learning, but because he, he, uh, he saw things very clearly, and he called them as he saw them, and he would, um, he would state things in very simple terms, and he would win, win their minds and hearts that way. Boy, again, remi- just by being so receptive, and, and by hearing the Word of God, and then by measuring all the world against what he heard in the Word of God. Yeah, he really allowed that to become a part of him. Yeah. So that, just as Jesus said, don't worry about what you'll say. I will give you the grace to be able to say what you need to say. That's right. And, uh, and, and Athanasius wrote the life of Anthony, uh, not just for monks. Uh, he did send it out to monks, but he did intend it to be read by, by everyone. Because uh, even though we're not all going to be called to the desert, we're certainly all called to that kind of receptivity, that attentiveness to the Word of God uh, that Anthony lived. You know, when we go to the liturgy, God might not be calling us to sell everything we have um, and go out to the desert, but God is certainly trying to tell us something every time we go to Mass, and every time we hear the readings from the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is something that is directed from God's heart to our heart in every single liturgy, and we really have to learn what Anthony learned to be attentive to the Word of God, and to make it actual through our lives. The liturgy itself gives us the grace to carry forward and carry out what we discern as God's message to us in the readings. Oh, beautifully said. That's the gift that we have in the liturgy. And how, how sad for some of us when that becomes 
considered an old thing or, oh, I have to go to mass or I have to, something that we're, we're forced to do as opposed to something we flee and run to. It's just God incarnate becoming... <laughs> That's all. <laughs> ...coming to our altars again. <laughs> but, but yes, it's a great advent that happens and it can happen day after day if we want to go to daily mass. It happens every Sunday if we want to, uh, if we want, if if we're to be faithful to the church's uh, law that we we attend mass every every Sunday and Holy Day. It is a great event, and it's a powerful event uh, if we if we permit it to be powerful that way. You know, God still uh, still leaves us free to correspond or not to correspond to the grace we receive. But when you think about that grace. It's all of the life of Jesus Christ. It's all of the life of God given to us in the appearance of bread and wine. It's, it's everything that, that, that can be possessed, and it can only be possessed by limited, finite beings like us because God has given us the, the power to, to encompass infinity that way. The Mass is a, is, is a most remarkable thing. It's the most remarkable thing, and we've got to learn to tune into it if we want our lives to be full of power the way Anthony's was. Mm. Right. You know, I, I think there are so many Anthony's out there today. We just don't have Athanasius writing their stories. <laughs> but don't you encounter them? I mean, there are those uh, women who will go to daily Mass, those men who will take time from work, and they just quietly go to Mass every day during lunchtime or something like that, or those who sit down and really pray scripture. I mean, there are a lot of Anthony's out there. I just don't, again, we just don't have people writing their stories. That's, that, that, that moves me whenever I go to, um, especially when you go to a daily Mass and you think of the sacrifice that these people are making, either getting themselves out of bed at such an early hour or going out in, you know, below freezing temperatures and, and, or, or in great heat in the middle of the summer. It's an amazing thing. Uh, that that you see day after day after day that kind of that kind of faithfulness that kind of attentiveness that um, that they're there they're there every day and uh, they're there with with great attention mm-hmm. and that there are so many of them too it, 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 it that that's that's the marvel to me that 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 my my little parish church draws every day uh, as many people into its pews as some of the other uh, Protestant churches draw on a mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. And these are people who are coming in day after day after day for a couple of Masses. You know, there, there are two Masses at my parish in, on a weekday. Right. And the, the thing is, like, Anthony, how wonderful that, I mean, he's one of those classic examples of Scripture written into his heart, and it expressed itself in how he lived his life. It did. It did. And, uh, and it was a long life, too, so he had... Um, he had many opportunities to influence people uh, who who went out to visit him, and of course, as I said, you know, when he reluctantly went down into the city because uh, because destiny called him there, uh, he he lived to to be 105 years old, and uh, he really did not seek any great fame. At the end of his days, he wanted just to to go out into uh, into some remote place where uh, where he could die quietly and be buried and. And he did, uh, and for for a long time, um, uh, no one knew the, the 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 spot of his burial. Although eventually, it was um, it was it was taken up. It's interesting. A good friend of mine is an anthropologist. His name is Father Mark Gruber, and he's a Benedictine monk. Mm-hmm. But when he was doing his doctoral research research at um, Stony, Bro- Stony Brook, he lived among the desert fathers in Egypt, and it's very interesting to to see that those very sites that were occupied by Anthony in his lifetime 
are still standing today. Mm-hmm. And they're still occupied by, by Christian monks who are still being persecuted even today. Because there's a lot of popular uh, animosity, or there's some popular animosity, toward Christian, Christians in, uh, in, in some of those areas of Egypt. And there's some official, um, uh, I don't know how to put it, it's, just a, it's, it's, it's a subtle persecution um, where you have to apply for permission to do repairs on churches, and the government has to grant permission, and it might be long in coming, and it might be only partial, that sort of thing. But these people are, are living great heroic lives in the deserts, living the life of Anthony. And Father Mark was telling me about their, their daily life, and these monks in the Egyptian desert chant all the psalms every day. Wow. They go through the entire Psalter. And they live in community. They have a very austere life. Uh, they sleep very little, and they sleep on, 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 on the floor. They have no possessions, uh, and many of them still go out into caves and uh, out into these desert places to live and be by themselves for, for months or years at a time. Father Mark uh, took one of these as his own spiritual director, his own spiritual guide while he was there living and doing his doctoral research in the mm-hmm. desert. Uh, he wrote a book about this that's one of the, one of the amazing, amazing books that, that, that have come out in recent years, I think. It sounds enthralling. I mean, just the whole, that, that they're still out there. And I, I'm hoping they don't have any reptile problems. I mean, they have the sign of the cross that St. Anthony gave them. So well, What's interesting is that, is that um, Father Mark said that, that even the non-Christians who live in Egypt uh, will call upon these monks uh, when they need exorcisms. Mm. And they'll go to the monks, and the monks always approach with the sign of the cross. They keep a simple wooden cross that they will hold up to the devil, and the devil, the, 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 the demons will flee. Mm-hmm. The book, it's Journey Back to Eden, My Life and Times Among the Desert Fathers, and it's by Father Mark Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R, and, uh, and boy, it's such a great read. It's a page-turner, and, uh, and you, get to see, you get to see a life, um, a Christian life, that, that has been unchanged, really, for centuries, because the monks are very careful to preserve the heritage that, they, that they've received since the days of Anthony. Um, Father Mark's uh, doctoral dissertation is also available, Sacrifice in the Desert, although that's a lot more expensive than Journey Back to Eden. <laughs> well, if you say it's a page-turner, well, then I, I'm You're going to be turning some pages, out. I think. I'm off yeah. to the Internet. <laughs> I'm off to the Internet Chris's right now. Chris's two favorite words, other than dinner served, page-turner. <laughs> page-turner, especially if it comes from Mike Aquilina. <laughs> well, Father Mark, Father Mark is also a great reader of the Fathers and, uh, and a great scholar and uh, a retreat master, too. But he, he has, he's learned so much from his time among the Desert Fathers. And again, he portrays a life that has remained large, largely unchanged mm-hmm. for these 17 centuries. Amazing. Wow. And it just it's a testament to something that's lasting and true. I mean, yeah. you can judge it by its fruits, and that's it's still right. here. That's right, and it's amazing because he says that that uh, many of the the Christians who are in the the cities nearby will actually drive out to the desert to uh, celebrate the liturgy with the monks on Sundays, wow. and the liturgy is sometimes as long as seven hours. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, now there's time in the heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, you just <laughs> just I'm spending the day. It really is tuned into the fourth century because people had a longer attention span and they right. weren't accustomed to television and that sort of thing back then. Well, like so, you said, if, if if they end up chanting the whole Psalter every day, then in between the two readings, you're probably singing a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
I think that'd be wonderful. Sure. And the fact that it's survived this long, I mean, that's a testament right there. Mm. Yes. Well, he he has he has some great images. He he said that the the, the children, um, of course, have don't have seven hours of patience. But he said they just they'll they'll wander up and they'll be tugging on the priest's vestments, and the priest is oblivious to this yeah. as he celebrates the liturgy. But he said it's an image of all of the life of these ancient Christians who are still living this life faithfully, being caught up in the liturgy, and the liturgy is being taken up to God. As you said, the heavenly Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and, and the children are at play in the heavenly Jerusalem. I oh, love it. What a great visual. I love it. <laughs> when are we going to go there, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, let there be peace on earth. and uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's true. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> follow after. Yeah, Rome I, first, uh, yeah. the rest of the world later. Hey, that's right. Yeah. I don't see you doing so well in the desert, Chris. <laughs> Me? I might be good for my skin. Yeah. Who knows? Rome, I see you doing well in Rome. Okay. So. Although I'm in ready. January, it's kind of appealing. Yes. But. Well, Mike, thanks so much to come and talk to us about St. Anthony of the Desert. I just, this so enriching, and we're just so blessed to have Great. you with us. Thanks for inviting me. This has been a joy. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com.